Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story. And this is not your typical entrepreneurship podcast. Here, you get to listen to real people who are building cool stuff, all without writing a single line of code. This is the future of independent entrepreneurship, and you have a front row seat. If you've used a no-code tool or built something in public, today's guest needs no introduction. That's right, today I have the pleasure of sitting down with KP. Last time I shared the first part of our conversation, and today it's time for part two. If you haven't listened to part one, I'd recommend starting there first. We talk about KP's new role as a dad, his work at ODNC and how the program is structured, and how a $19 Udemy course started his no-code journey. Today in part two, we dig into no-code at work. How consistency is at the heart of building in public and KP's experience in the world of NFTs. KP also makes a ton of bold predictions on this episode and I'm curious to hear what you think about them. Write to me at host at mynocodestory.com. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Here's part two of my conversation with KP. This is KP and this is my no code story. I think we, we've covered a lot of ground on the founder ecosystem, but a lot of people that are interested in no-code that want to build side projects also have a day job, myself included, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people would like to use no-code as part of their day-to-day work to simplify some of their processes at work and so on. Recently, we've had a lot of acquisitions in this space, right? So we saw mm-hmm. SAP make an acquisition. Google has its own set of no-code tools. Amazon, they all do, right? And we're also seeing more and more acquisitions happening within the enterprise space every single week. How are you thinking about this whole construct of no-code for work, as you put it earlier? And how are you thinking about an end user? What do they need really to get started to to use some of these tools and simplify their work processes? So I'm gonna make a bold prediction on your podcast. I think every function in a company, sales, marketing, HR, recruiting and which is HR, every function in, 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 in this, or every function, every vertical in a company is going to be disrupted by no-code and for the better. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying like, okay, run away, you're gonna lose your job. I'm saying you're gonna get massive assistance in the form of no-code tools to make you hyper-productive. One thing that people haven't sold or haven't been sold on, partly because of lack of education, lack of evangelism is the, unbelievable productivity gain you will have with no-code tools at work. If you think about work, right? Most of what we do, we're trying to optimize for productivity, right? That's what we're doing, right? Even why are people choosing remote? Because it's more productive to not do the two hour commutes, right? Yep. To not, you know, waste time you know, with lunch breaks, you know, with where you have to go at another hour for lunch break or something. So workplace has always been about optimization around the concept of productivity. How can we make uh, our employees more productive because productivity leads to happiness and you know retention and all these things. Now, a lot of the times people think no-code is going to come replace your current tools. Like I don't think no-code is gonna come replace your Excel. It's not gonna replace your core business tools like Salesforce, right? But it will make you a more effective employee and a more effective manager. Now you can use Excel for some of the more really, really deeply integrated, you know, use cases where you can't not use Excel. But at the same time, you can use Airtable next to it for a smaller use case where it saves you a lot of time because Airtable's automation is built in. 
Excel doesn't have automation built in, right? You need to go harass the developer team, a product team, engineering team, and say, hey, can you guys build something on top of my Excel data? Like, so you have to export Excel data into CSV, and that person has to take it as a database and then run some automation and give you a report on Friday morning. Meanwhile, Airtable does it in five minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. So, that, I mean, that's just an example. There's like tools like Causal. There's tools like obviously.ai. There's tools like Rose. So Rose is an amazing example where they're going after power users of uh, Excel. Mm -hmm. And they're 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 letting if you if you know what Rose.com is you know shout out to the founders they're they're amazing they're basically blending the worlds of API and Power Functions within Excel right okay. so if you do equals in Excel you can do a bunch of functions like right, Power Functions right. right but you can't do API stuff right but they they let you do both of these two which means traditionally you would have to do all your Excel Power Functions and macros and run macros. And you ran like a you, you created like a subset of data that you care about. For example, you're a manager, and in the in, in the main database, let's say you're a manager of Bank of America, and you have all the customer data in Access Mainframe. But you take like last week's, let's say you're in the loan department, you take last week's mortgage report in your region, Georgia, millennial or HNI high net worth high net worth individual. So you put a bunch of filters, you and you collect that data. And what you're trying to do is usually you try to run a report every Friday. 4 right. p.m. so that every Friday you would have like, hey, how did we perform as a team, right? You can do that, the janky setup that I described right now with two clicks in rows. That's mind blowing, that's like unbelievably mind blowing because wow. then you can just yeah. take that URL, post it in your company Slack or in your team messenger, whatever that is, Skype or whatever, and everybody else can click on that URL and they're all on the same page, Yeah. right? With, with Excel, you're not on the same page because like somebody makes a change, unless the Excel is Excel online, right? You don't know who made the change. So just like version history. Um, yeah, don't even get me started on versioning. I know. So I think I, I'll just wrap it up by saying the the powerful hidden use cases of no-code tools haven't been even tapped. I don't even think we haven't tapped like 0.1% of no-code at work. Of course, a lot of the no-code right now is, talking, is being talked about it, the sexy no-code stuff is founder-led, right? Creating a new project, zero to one, right? Right. But even in scaling situations, like Retool, if you see one of the low-code, no-code tools, mm -hmm. is, is allowing like people to really quickly, I mean, developers to really quickly spin up a dashboard-looking you know, interface, like plug it, pipe it with data, connect it with Zapier, and suddenly every time like a your brand gets mentioned on Twitter, Zapier picks it up, right? right? Copies the text of the tweet, right? Or you could say a support ticket, for example, and that's piped to Retool and suddenly you have a dashboard of open tickets. This would take a developer at least a week, not one developer, probably take two developers, the front end, back end, yeah. a week, and this would probably take in Retool like an hour. And it's it's unbelievable, like the gain is unbelievable. So we're just seeing the early days of Uncle at work, and I'm really bullish from an ODNC perspective and like, because I run the program, we're starting to reach out and branch out and be more outbound and reach out to people working in companies and saying, hey guys, I don't care if you join the fellowship or not, but I really care that you use NoCode at your work right. for your own benefit, you know? And so it's part of our mission is to educate them and like evangelize in that, in that space. 
uh, a big part of your work is also this concept of building in public and, and you're the de facto build in public guy. And I know you talked about building in public as part of your ODNC program, how you start with that as a foundation. How would you advise people go about it? I mean, obviously, it's fairly obvious how to go about it, but it's not really easy to do on an ongoing basis. Consistency has been something that, that I've been struggling with on Twitter personally as well. But at the I feel like there are aspects of the build in public approach that maybe I'm not open to from a personality standpoint either. So different people have different ways of coming at it. What's, what's your recommendation for people to get started? Why should someone build in public and and where to go? I think I, I, I'm going to make another bold prediction. And so I hope you take quotes of this and put it on Twitter later because some of this stuff that I'm talking about. I deeply believe in, I have real conviction on these, and I'm glad that you sort of are bringing up the topics that I love to talk about. So another bold prediction that I am going to make is that every knowledge worker in the next 10 years is going to be a creator of some sort. And every knowledge worker, and this could be the marketing guy at HubSpot, this could be the salesperson at Salesloft, Salesforce, this could be the uh, designer at Envision or Figma, everybody is going to participate in the creator economy. Now, it's up to them to build an asset that will give them an unfair advantage, right? It's kind of like 10 years ago, nobody nobody could have seen how many no-code builders there are today. Right. Like 10 years ago, we were like happy with WordPress and Squarespace. I remember actually I had a Squarespace website, kartikawara.com back in the day. I moved to the US. Was, nobody else doing anything in no code was mm -hmm. wordpress squarespace maybe maybe wix that's maybe it wix yeah yeah that's it which was very limited they could nobody could have predicted seen the reality where we live in today where i am at, at on deck no code we have 250 builders and we filter out so many we have like thousand plus applications which means right. there's so much demand right so and many of them are non-developers they're like me like non-technical people so nobody could have predicted that. And I feel the same way people are sleeping on creator economy. And the only creator economy conversation that's happening is about YouTube and TikTok and like, that's creator economy one, one way, yes, right? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like knowledge economy. People are going to sell their knowledge, specific knowledge, Naval calls it specific knowledge. That's hard to uh, learn at a school or uh, through teaching yourself on Udemy specific knowledge people are going to gain through their work, life experiences and they're going to teach them and they're going to be creator of some sort however because there will be a cambrian explosion mm -hmm. of creators there will be seven thousand sales reps teaching you how to do how to go zero to one in sales there will be three thousand people teaching you how to build landing pages and marketing right how do you stand out my answer is build yourself a, a an unfair advantage and to me that unfair advantage is audience so imagine that 2025, you're going to drop something massive into the niche that you care about, but start today and start putting in the reps, right? start building in public, right? right? You don't have to talk about the final end goal, which we don't know what you're gonna do in 2025, but you know, but more likely than not, you're going to be in your niche, or at least you're going to be, if you're a developer, you're gonna be a developer, right? Mm -hmm. But for example, I'm always gonna be in some, some passion of no code, some passion of community, some passion of startups, for sure. I'm going to be in startup worlds, you know, for a long time. So if you start building the muscle of building in public, start building and putting in the reps, start tweeting. And so to answer your point about 
why is consistency the hardest thing i think here's my answer to that consistency most people think originality is the holy grail of of building an audience right like you have to be original like you have to be an intellectual thinker like a unique thinker you have to be like lee jin who coined fashion economy you have to be like david pedal who did right. writing you know think actually think it's bullshit you don't have to be like any of them the, the holy grail of become a con- of becoming a content creator of becoming a building an building an audience as an asset class is consistency if you have consistency you're already in the top 10% by default you don't even have to do anything like dude like i did nothing in the last 3 years that i think is what intellectually i'm proud of i there are like maybe four or five things i did that are like wow i'm so proud of it i'm proud of the consistency right and the the way i equated is if i woke up that day and i brushed my teeth with nobody telling me to do it i'm going to tweet per day with nobody telling me to do it how right. is it different what the only difference is like only difference is with with brushing your teeth you have an intrinsic motivation and a habit and you think that okay it's good for me but is it how do you isolate one day and say that day was good for you you right. can't the habit is good for you right and the same way like one tweet may not be worth it probably not but the habit of tweeting habit of building the creator muscle is good for you so and the expectations has to be same like i i want a lot of people that i talk to on my dms and like on on my podcast they're burnt out so quickly because they're trying to like use the 2 minute brushing technique but they're trying to like be hardcore on that they're like we're going to like crush it i'm like why are you trying to crush it then your expectations are going to be sky high and you you're going to think you're going to try to go viral on your third tweet nobody does that nobody can do it right even the people who are going viral on a consistent basis will pro- will, will tell you they have no clue which tweets go viral it's like pop songs no artist can come to you and tell you like drake can tell you like exactly this song is going to blow up right right nobody knows we just try so my answer is just have very modest expectations in early days like treat it like you know brushing your teeth you know that it's a good habit form the habit over time suddenly it's going to take off and you're going to be like wow i don't i can't believe that i have built up such a great habit and and because of the habit you you are built nasa class call audience so when you finally are ready to launch something you have people who have been following you for a while and you have credibility makes sense and and also you have people that have cross pollinated interests right so yeah. that have some kind of an intersection with the stuff that you're building which may be a wide variety of things so i i think it's, it's definitely something to aspire towards for for a lot of people that are right now on twitter just trying to create a side project but also learn and and are just taking absorbing so much i think one, one thing that I, i i wish i knew when i was starting out is that how much of an unfair advantage i had when i didn't have an audience when you don't have an audience typically you have an advantage called time so the kp of 2018 who had this 95 job right i remember going to like an hour in the train to to I mean, to the sit to the airport where i used to work at right. delta airlines so that hour up and hour down was 2 hours right because i was not running a very you know busy program like audience at the time i had a decent job that was like steady 9 to 5 didn't like wasn't like so uh taxing right i was like pretty okay i had a time advantage which i didn't really capitalize on it as much but i think i did it better than most people so i got, of course i'm i'm here talking about it which right. means i've done it some things right but 
I don't think I really understood how much of a time advantage I had back then because so many things I could have done because nobody cared about sort of what I was doing anyway, which mm -hmm. means I could have tried so many experiments. You know, I could have like, I could have gone and curated a bunch of tweets, you know, and I think that, that's the thing, early days, you really, you cannot stand out based on my original point of view. Right now, when I say something on this podcast that KP said, a bold prediction about every function in a company should be, uh, will be disrupted by no code. Now it's probably, we, we can argue that it might be news. It might go viral, for example. Right. Three years ago, KP, you said, probably said the same thing. Nobody gave a shit. That's called leverage. And I did not know the power of leverage back then, right? But the leverage comes from consistency. Leverage comes from audience. Leverage comes from, you know, building credibility and doing things over and over and doing ambitious things, right? I mean, so many things compound like crazy. Like, I didn't know when I talked to Gary V, you know, when on my, I interviewed mm -hmm. on, on my podcast. Right. That was just unbelievable. Like the, the 2018 KP, that would have been like mind blowing, right? But I did it like almost as a spur of the moment. I didn't overthink it. I just did it like another tweet and I called it shoot my, shot, shoot my shot tweet. I built up such strong muscle that even if you said no, which by the way, so many people said no. And so right. a lot of people don't know that actually there's people who said no. Kunal Shah from India actually said no, in, or he didn't respond, I think. But because I built up my muscle, most of my story is about the people who said yes. And that's enough to catapult your career than worry about one tweet that never took off or two tweets that never took off. I know uh, alongside, you know, some of the discussions that you've had in the no code space and build in public, you're also dabbling in NFTs and you're, you're yeah. telling me earlier that you've just recently purchased one. So tell us what, what you know that the, the lay person doesn't know about NFTs and, and what should we watch out for? So first of all, great. I, I did purchase one the NFT, a, a project called Project Fives. I blame, I blame this on Packy. Packy McCormick retweeted <laughs> about this. But he, he's been like posting a lot of this stuff. And so I was very curious from the outside. And the same thing that happened during NoCode, where I was curious about stuff from the outside. And I decided I wanted to learn by doing things, by being part of the arena. So I jumped in, you know, had some skin in the game. So I bought like some really, at a really low, embarrassingly low floor price, uh, I think some 0.002 ETH or something. But I, I bought a, it's essentially it's a, it's your top five picks of the ballers in NBA. It's a, it's a silly thing, but you know, on the, on the sports channels, they're always talking about who are your top five KP, who are your top five Ayush. And so this project created 8,000 varieties. I think, I think 8,000 or 10,000 varieties of the top five. Right. Right. So they're like Jordan, of course, Michael, the, the flu game Jordan was in there with LeBron, with like Steph, et cetera, et cetera. And so you could buy a random pack. The pack that I bought had my favorite player in NBA is Steph Curry, as you can tell by now, I'm giving him, I've uh, been quoting him a lot. But yeah, so mouth guard Steph, I think there was like Dirk, Dwight Howard, and a bunch of players. But right. it was just a fun thing. So what I've learned though, um, is by the way, it's sold out now in three days. So like nobody else can buy from the original collection. You can only buy from secondary, which means one of us have to flip it and then, you know, right. you would buy. Which is first of all interesting observation, right? They're like, oh, so they create, they're creating the NFT creators are actually creating um, a limited edition. So there's scarcity built in, mm -hmm. and as we're transitioning into an abundant world where everything is like, there's so many articles you can read about, so many substacks, right? So many Twitter creators, right? So many tweets about a topic. Scarcity is an interesting pendulum swing 
into real world, almost like real world, right? Because in real world, there's only a few coffee shops in the city, right? Right. So if you hang out at the cool coffee shop and the capacity, the third, the the 200th person can't join in because it's full capacity. So it's it's inherently an interesting psychological play by creating scarcity in an abundant world called the internet. So that's interesting. The other part is interesting is commerce from get go. So just like how building public, why belief has been like you have to build in public from day one, the NFTs allow you to monetize from day one, right? Like the creator drops a collection and then each collection is priced. They're not free. I mean, you can give away for free, like maybe two or three, but they're all priced at a floor right. price. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting because I think in the, for the longest time, it took 10, 20 years, we build something cool. Let's say you have an illustrator. If, if my sister is actually a really great artist. You know, she does like illustrations and paintings of like, I mean, they're basically, I forgot the term for it. But basically characters like in Star Wars, what are they called? They're like kinds of a different kind of a makeup creatures. Basically she, she can create creatures and, and right. scary looking creatures, you know, so there's like the ghouls and the, and the Draculas and the vampires and all that. Anyway, so it's like, it's some weird art, you know, shout out to my sisters listening, probably. It's a weird art. I always thought it was weird and you know, she smiles at this, but stuff like that. So she would create something like that and keep it in her album on her iPad and never see the light. Right. And maybe if in 10 years she blows up, then she would have an auction at Christie's or Sotheby's and maybe somebody will buy one art piece for $10,000. Right. Right. So we, as a creator, she has to wait an eternity to monetize, but she also also wait an eternity for someone to give her a shot. Like some gatekeeper has to pick up your art and put it in the gallery. Mm -hmm. Now what? NFTs allow you to do is she could mint that on day one as an NFT, put it on OpenSea, which is the marketplace. And if you and I are big collectors and big fans like Kaki, we can go and just buy it for the floor price. Yeah. You know? And if she blows up, if she ends up being on Ellen or if she ends up being on some popular podcast in the future, I can flip the thing that I bought for the floor price to 10x the price, right? So there is an inherent ability to monetize from the get-go, which is super fascinating. But also it presents the same challenge that currently the bootstrap developers have. Right now, if you know how to code, you can create your own SaaS product in two days, right? Like right. you can create Google the better version of Google Analytics in two days. Everybody um, that I know seems to be doing that. There's creating an alternative to you know Google Analytics because Google Analytics sucks, right? The UX is bad. But you, yeah, just because you can create something, you can put a pricing page, doesn't mean you're gonna get audience to buy it, which means you have to build in public. You have to have an audience, you have to have community before. So the artists are also realizing the same thing, right? Where the, the artists who are succeeding in the NFT world are the ones who already have an inherent community or an audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So someone like my sister, for example, or someone who just woke up and they're like, oh, let me pin something on OpenSea, will never be sold out right? because Again, same principle applies. You know, you need to have an audience, you need to have demand before you uh, can transact. So anyway, those are my observations, but I think it's really, it's really interesting. Uh, and it's definitely a lot of hype in it. Uh, so I advise people to like do your own research and like, you know, you only put money in that you think will like, it's like play money. I only put like, I don't know, like 0.2 ETH into observe. And I think I'm going to be more active, you know, just to have skin in the game.
And I think at some level, it, it kind of amplifies an audience that people already have and turns a different type of commerce or, or turns a different yes. type of commerce into the equation. And um, it's, it's also something that uh, I, I feel like almost every creator is going to branch out into these types of avenues yeah. to, to start looking at alternate ways of commercializing their yeah. audience. And their, I mean, their can you imagine like them. being early enough that you saw the first year of Coldplay, right? You heard them at like a local band or a local coffee shop or something. And you're like, dang, they're going to be big. And instead of getting a signed t-shirt for the 10 bucks, you know, at the coffee shop from Coldplay, you bought their NFT, right? It's could be, it could be like their face. And then, you, you know, yeah. let's say, cause Martin, you know, just like, I don't know, some authentication, whatever. And you held it and Coldplay became Coldplay in 20 years. And now that, particular artifact you have, whether it's digital or physical, doesn't matter. That's worth millions because yeah. that's the OG. The same thing with like people talk about Michael Jackson. Like there's so many people who collect Michael Jackson's early jackets, mm -hmm. early outfits, costumes. So, I mean, I think it's going to be big. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting, interesting turn. And, and I think a really nice note to kind of end the uh, the discussion here today with infinite possibilities and just being at the beginning of, of what's to come over the next few decades. KPA, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Why don't you give a quick handoff to people on, on where they can find you and if they want to learn more about ODNC or, or any of the other work that you do, where do they where do they go? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, for folks who want to follow my work and my tweets and my thoughts, you can go to at this is KP underscore, which is my Twitter. If you're interested in the no-code space, if you want to, you know, apply and you know understand how we do the program, you can you can put your email address at odnc.io. That's the official URL for uh, on deck no code. Awesome, KP. Thanks again. I had a ton of fun. It was fun. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Aish. All right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job, or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one.